gabagool gram and something with fat and nitrates. Hey, hey, <laughs> Gabriel, it says we're down here for the gabagool. The gabagool. Let's say it. Gabagool. The gabagool. We had sandwiches brought in the other night. Forward ham, salami, gabagool. Taking the gabagool and shit out of the fridge. Gabagool. Over here. All this from a slice of gabagool. Let's get back to that gabagool. Hello and welcome to Gabagool and Roses, the only and best leftist Sopranos podcast. My name is John. I've seen The Sopranos a bunch of times. My two co-hosts have never seen The Sopranos before. Every week we talk about an episode in the series uh, from a leftist perspective. We talk it over and uh, see what sort of themes that we can find and discuss. uh, And if we can uh, relate it back to our fight to a revolution for a better aim. Before I introduce my co-hosts and we get into this episode, I do want to do a quick content and trigger warning that the episode we're discussing does uh, mention quite graphic uh, instances of violence against the trans person um, because of their trans identity um, and uh, just something to be aware of before we get into our goofs. And Hello, John. Hello, Ben. Hello, Hi. Rachel. Hi. How's everyone doing? Super good. How are you? Great. This uh, episode had talk- a lot. Yes, we have a lot to talk about in this episode. Um, there's a lot of philosophy going on, and there's uh, unfortunately a lot of violence uh, aimed at a marginalized woman uh, that we'll have to talk about as well as some other things. Uh, so let's not waste any time. What were your all's initial thoughts on this one other than lots to think about? Ben, what did you I, The thing that I thought about this episode was there's really only one good character in this entire universe, and that's AJ. <laughs> that, that's all I have to say about that. What about you? How about you, Rachel? Um, <laughs> what were your initial thoughts? There was a lot that I... This, I don't know. I feel my initial thoughts were this was a really good episode. They pulled out a lot of stops for this one. Um, so, it, yeah, it was very full. It was a full mm-hmm. episode. Private school tuition going toward teaching the pampered progeny of the ruling class about uh, Sartre and uh, God. Niche. <laughs> yes, niche. niche, niche, niche. Kierkegaard even comes up. Yeah. I'm John, what did you think? Oh, and, and also we do have a discussion about the hierarchy of needs, which is mm-hmm. fucking what's-his-face. Um, Maslow. Last- Maslow. Maslow. Uh, Maslow. Maslow. Maslow, right? He's a Dominican fellow. Um, <laughs> Jesus Let's get to self-actualization today. How about it? <laughs> Let's do it. Uh, Rachel, I think that there's a lot to talk about in this episode as well. I think that is jam-packed, full of plot and story and symbolism, mm. and uh, I'm excited to talk about it. So, our just inciting... Like an, is- just like a David Lynch movie. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's just like a David Lynch movie. Uh, in which AJ Soprano is the screaming creature child uh, from Eraserhead. Now, <laughs> the we open with the screaming creature child driving the car uh, Mercedes into the side of a uh, li- landscaping truck, fucking up the car. Classic fail son move. Um, Could have easily avoidable. Easily avoidable. Mm-hmm. Easily available. So, all right. Well, something that I, this is something yeah. that I definitely sympathize with. I, I too have stolen uh, a parent's car uh, as a child without having my driver's license and gone and hung out with friends. I got pulled over one time. What? Without a license. How old? I was 15. Um, 
Did you have a and permit or anything? No, dude. I had nothing. It was, <laughs> dude, it was two in the morning. I got pulled over. I was Hold nervous. Hold on, you were 15? Yes, dude. Were you on yes. some Meadow Soprano <laughs> child drug? No, dude. I was just like, no. <laughs> no. I was an idiot. Anyway, so uh, that's when I realized that my white privilege was uh, immense because the cop just said, okay, kid, uh, I'll just follow you back to your house and make sure you get home. Jesus oh, Christ. Shit. Oh, fuck. Anyway, shout wow. out to you, AJ. Uh, respect. <laughs> so, all right. So I have this theory that um, Tom Sexton from our favorite podcast, uh, mm-hmm. Billies, uh, that his childhood, he was basically Bobby from King of the King Hill. Of Hill. From everything he describes, and now I've decided that Ben, you're basically AJ Soprano. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Except I'd imagine you had much better grades than AJ's uh, C, uh, C, three Ds, Ds, and an F. Uh-huh. Not that uh, much. <laughs> so, all right. So the two major storylines here: we have the AJ storyline, and then the other major storyline. I think it's Chris. Do yes. we want to keep going with AJ or? Yeah, let's go with AJ first. All right. AJ's is fun. So, yeah, it is fun. He wrecks the car. He's in big trouble. Uh, Then he's getting, next we see him, he's getting chewed out by Tony and Carm. We get some great uh, Edie Falco moments here. Yes. Uh, And some great moments from AJ as he wrestles with existentialism for the first time. The kid is perfect. Mm -hmm. So good. Uh, uh, Tony gets mad at him for for wetting the bed as recently as two years ago. Yeah, and getting kicked out of camp for it. Yep. Again, I yes, I am AJ. Uh, and then, uh, AJ- <laughs> yeah. So AJ is is really pondering the uh, the serious questions of life, like why are we born? Why are we here? Uh, and, and you know, he's got Carm and Tony back on on their heels. They don't know how to respond to it because they don't do any sort of self. So they make some bullshit up. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so he asks why we're born, and Carm says because of Adam and Eve. It's an nuts. That's the answer to like why do people sin or why do bad things happen to good people? Uh, not necessarily why are we born. I would have I mean, loved to have seen uh, Father Intentola's uh, response to that. Well, the all right. So the Bible makes the shit super easy because the Bible just says man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Uh, right? That's from the Bible. Okay. Or is that just a thing that my school had up everywhere? Yeah. Uh, but that's such a fucking yeah. cop-out. Um, anyway, I think it's a fucking cop-out. Um, I, thought, I thought it was to treat others as you would be treated, or love others as you would be loved. That's, that's what Jesus said. Yeah, whatever. That's his, like, handy Ten Commandments rolled into one. You ain't got to worry about them other ones. Hmm. Shouldn't uh, it be treat people as they want to be treated? No. Love yourself as you wish to be loved. That would never work in a dom-sub relationship. I'm just going to say it. Nah, 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 come on! You're right. Good point. So, little, uh, are we just going to stick our toe into the kink corner there for a second? Just okay. a little dip. All right. Have you all had the existentialist grapple? Oh, yes. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, John? Uh, I mean, I think, I think to a certain extent, I'm still in the midst of a giant throw of an existential crisis. Same. Uh, uh, but I guess it never stops, right? So, uh, yeah. The, the the easy part about religion is that it gives your life. And once you take that away, 
it becomes very difficult to answer that question of what, why are we here? What is the, our purpose? But yeah, why you do don't we... have to be a huge dummy and a dick about it. Like AJ. <laughs> my God. <laughs> well, so my favorite thing about his little exploration is he seeks out the, the sage wisdom of none other than Livia Soprano. And... Let's not go there. Let's not. Well, <sighs> yes. That that is that is huge. That is a that is the climax of the entire series. Okay, well get on yeah. with it. <laughs> so okay. first right. we gotta so. first we gotta send AJ to go deal with uh, you know to batting practice with uh, uh, Pussy and uh, Pussy Son. What's his son's name? Uh oh, it no, says it. Matt? I forgot. Is it Matt? Sure. Little it's Pussy Junior. Now. So he's gonna, he's gonna go to batting practice with Pussy Junior, in which Pussy, Pussy in which. I, is he at college? He's at college, right? He's a. I guess we're. Yeah, he's in college. He has a. He has a. Uh, Villanova shirt. Uh, Villanova yeah. shirt on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Fuck Villanova. And he gives him the old <laughs> like, "Oh, you haven't read this shit yet." Right. Okay. Yeah. This ninth grader, or whatever, <laughs> of, hasn't read uh, Kierkegaard. <laughs> and he's like, "I know what yeah. you're gonna say." Which, by the way, Sartre's Kierkegaard is fucking. Yeah. Uh, you're gonna come back with me to Sartre, and then I'm gonna say, "It's like." Uh, straight out of fucking uh, Goodwill Hunting. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> how do you like them apples? He should have said at the end of that. Um, but yeah, I, I think, uh, yeah, also Kierkegaard is bullshit and Christian existentialism is a total fucking cop out. But yeah. anyway. Yeah, we, yeah, we'll, we will, <laughs> this is, that's a, for a podcast. It, we'll go on Rachel's uncle's philosophy podcast and talk about it. Oh, uh, fuck <laughs> that guy. So anyway, so I think I think we, our podcast um, has to be more popular than his. I'm saying it now. Okay, uh, three times the listeners, one day, maybe than Joe Rogan's podcast. Yeah, I'll say all right. Littler, littler pussy says to AJ, Nietzsche is dumb. He talked to his horse. That's not true. Uh, actually, what happened makes Nietzsche even seem stupider. Which is he saw a man beating a horse and he freaked him out so bad that he passed out. Uh, which just say that like that's so much funnier and weirder than he oh he used to talk to his horse what a weirdo a lot of saw a man beating what they don't do is see a guy say it a again horse and he he like fell into like he saw a man beating a horse and he like fainted and was like it like ruined the rest of his life that's really sad that's hard maybe he was a highly mm-hmm. sensitive person mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah you just taken all the sales out of my joke but okay. Uh, it's very sad. Uh, <laughs> uh, we just love the way this show treats mental illness. Yes, but we have, we have the most glorious... This episode has two uh, kiss-offs that are fantastic. And I think AJ's kiss-off here in this episode, where he just shuts down Littler Pussy uh, by quoting Master P. Be a leader, not a follower. <laughs> oh, Yeah. <laughs> Like, shut the Oh, f- yeah. Get out of here with this bullshit. Leave me alone. Shout out to AJ. Fantastic. Hey, do y'all still listen to rap? Of course. <laughs> Hell yeah. Hell yeah, brother. Now, the question is, do we really want to go to, to the next so, AJ scene? Where AJ yeah. comes face to face with nihilism. Yes. Yes. All right. All right. So, yeah. So, now we get, now we get the extreme end of existentialism, which is full-on nihilism which is Tony's mom, mm-hmm. which is life is meaningless. You're not special. Everything's a big nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll die uh, in your own arms. Which is hilarious that, yeah, you'll die alone. Uh, uh, hilarious that pussy would send, of all people, would 
would send him to Libya yeah. to get some fucking perspective. Uh, and I guess he does. Like I, that's it, to a certain extent a valid point of view. Um, it's extremely harsh and cold and cruel, or it can be, as we see those yeah. same way to, to talk about Livia. But Ben, I, I sense that you have a lot to talk about. With regard to this scene specifically? Yeah. Yeah, so sure. Um, you know, certainly this is this is the root of The Sopranos' problem, which is, uh, you know, if, if you're going to start with the concept of, you know, a, a family is supposed to love each other, uh, you know, certainly the way that Livia treated Tony and the rest of her children manifests in the way that, the way that Tony treats his children shows respect for his wife, shows respect for women around. Uh, and, and so Livia is, you know, sort of unlocking for AJ this whole, ex- you know, this whole world where uh, nothing matters and it's okay. But I think the thing that I, I took away from this, from the, mo- uh, the, the global uh, message was this show is about what happens when nobody, nobody is willing to do the self-reflection uh, and, and the change in order to move on. Mm. Uh, the, no greater tragedy than the unexamined life. Yes. Right. Yes. And so knowing what we know about Livia and all the people that have supported her throughout her life and the fact that her daughter has moved home, which, you know, may have mixed motives um, and the fact that, that Johnny set her up for life and she was able, she was given the opportunity to have full life reject. You know, she still shows up at funerals and, uh, and functions for her granddaughter, uh, but she's still not able to appreciate anything. That's the tragedy. Mm-hmm. But God, sure. Nancy Marchand does I, a I, fantastic job in the scene. She is holy yeah, shit. She's so, so great, good, man. Mm-hmm. She really is. She's so good. And and yeah, I think yeah, it's it's definitely uh, sort of pours gas on AJ's existential fire. I think um, it's definitely not what he needs to hear at that time. Um, and, and but yeah, but I, I don't know about you guys, but. My relationship with my grandmothers, I could, I would never, ever, ever imagine hearing that either of their, anything close. I mean, that has to be the most horrifying thing to hear, you know? It does kind of remind me when my, my dad's mom died like a couple years ago and she was my first grandparent to die. And I remember like on her deathbed, she was like suddenly very lucid and like, uh, like kind of like taking no shit anymore and so it kind of reminded me of that it was kind of great like like how so she how was my grandma so my grandmother was like um you know married very young and had a bunch of kids and she was the mom and the homemaker whatever and she's like waspy and quiet and she kind of just like spoiled her children and had, you know, definitely mm-hmm. her male children or whatever. And then on her deathbed, she was so fucking annoyed with every man in our family um, <laughs> because they were like talking about her while she was in the room. And she was like, I know what you're fuck. I know that you're talking like stop doing this. And so she just started being so mean to them. And then to me, who she's never given a fuck about, she heard me tell them to stop doing what they were doing. And she like, was like, you know what? I've always liked you. And I was like, that's the most validation I want to get from this lady. <laughs> and it felt great. That's great. That's good. I think we do go to our grandparents for comfort. They should be a source of comfort. And to hear such mm. callousness and coldness is uh, it's, it's, uh, classic Livia, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the last thing that you'd want out of, a, out of a parent or grandparent. Yeah, she's not exactly a supportive person. <laughs> no. 
<laughs> not even a little bit. Um, and then we come back to AJ at his confirmation party. And then here's what I want to ask you all. Is this AJ's first time smoking pot? Or is this maybe why he's all of a sudden having all these deep thoughts about his existence? Mm. Is because he's been hitting the cheap, yeah. smoking fat doinks. Getting lifted, shifted higher than the ceiling. You obviously haven't gone to confirmation class, John. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tell uh, us I about it, confirmation Ben. Class. I went to confirmation class twice. Oh, my parents didn't think I got the right stuff out of it the first time. So I had to go again. But it was That's not Catholic funny. confirmation. It was Presbyterian. Mm-hmm. Anyway. But uh, another example of where my life and AJ's life intersect. <laughs> so I I got to be, you know, I was in the Boy Scouts. And when I became an Eagle Scout, uh, I had a little celebration as well. And I sketched off from that and got high with some friends. So, At your Eagle Scout thing? Yes. Yes. That's not how allowed. old were you? What did uh, oh, no, wait? Was, what did you make a pipe out of? Oh no, it was pipe. It was a real old bull. But uh, no, I was. I think it was like sixteen. So anyway, whatever. So, Boy Scout, you should be doing some thrifty shit, like whittling some yeah. wood down, or like that's the thing that like people didn't realize. Like that's the reason why half of the Boy Scouts continued to go camping was because you could just go smoke a bunch of pot in the woods. See, if they had been doing that in my Boy Scout troop, I might have stayed in a fucking Boy Scout. <laughs> Well, okay. Damn, I'm jealous of uh, y'all. Why? <laughs> Would just yeah. absolutely love to be a Boy Scout. You can. They've got why? Venture Scouts. They're uh, boys and girls. They just Am I not too camping. old? I really don't think so. I think you can mm-hmm. be... I think you can do it until you're like 30 or something. All right. This well, the Boy Scouts are letting women out. Mm-hmm. Well, thank the God for that. The Boy Scouts are letting that. girls and women in now. It's just Scouts now. Yeah. Sorry. I clearly have a huge delay on my end, so I'm sorry. I keep talking. It's okay. I think it'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're you're participating in the conversation that we're having. But anyway, so, uh, so AJ is smoking pot at his confirmation. Uh, <laughs> holy yes, shit. Yes, answer my question. Is this AJ's first time smoking pot? Or... Oh, no, 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 absolutely not. That's why uh, I what I did about confirmation. Okay. What do you think so, people are so doing after or before confirmation be, class? This may be some revelatory marijuana. I don't know, man. I grew up in such a small town. I had a, apparently a very sheltered uh, growing up. Uh, um, but anyway, <laughs> so Tony freaks the fuck out. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, so Tony freaks the fuck out. About AJ smoking pot. Animal! Yeah. Appropriate response. Um, and, and then, yeah, and then uh, Puss goes to talk to him um, about Puss wearing a wire at the confirmation. Um, but that's basically the end of the, the AJ storyline. I don't think there's much to get out of the Puss conversation. I think that's more Pussy-focused than AJ-focused. Yeah. Okay. Any more thoughts about uh, our favorite fail son, Mr. Anthony Soprano Jr.? I'm just Such- grateful for him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He's a terrific, terrific character. Like, I love him. Yeah, he he rules. All right. He so I want to talk. And I, yeah, I love him in the same way that I love Bobby Hill. <laughs> yes. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I was just gonna say. I think I, I think it makes the most sense to. I, I don't know the Chris and the and the pussy storylines following up. I mean, they are they're such excellent foils. Um, I would rather talk about pussy first. Sure. Um, well, the, you, the pussy storyline I think is pretty quick. I mean, it's just. Right. The feds want him, his fed hander, handler wants him to wear a wire to the confirmation. Mm-hmm. He's yeah. sort of like, no, I don't want to. And they're like, you're fucking going. There's the scene where he's trying to, to muster up the, the courage to put, or I don't know what you call it, to put the wire on in the bathroom. And mm-hmm. he, and what's his wife's name? I don't remember. Judith? I don't know. 
whatever her name is. It's not Judy. <laughs> um, all right. Well, they get it. They get in their little tussle that turns into a big tussle when Pussy like pushes her down and is like gonna punch her and it's like I'll fucking kill you. Yeah. And their bad. son has to break them up. That sucked. Yeah. Um, but he's he's catching flack from uh, his FBI handler because his FBI handler is catching flack from his superior. And I think, as I understood it from earlier episodes, the FBI handler is is being threatened for like, you know, to end up somewhere else, threatened for reassignment or whatever, unless he can actually get something out of Pussy. And Pussy just doesn't have anything. He's been, been shut off. And so we keep, we see like increasing well, more unrealistic and yeah, sorry, unreasonable it, it, demand, it's, right? It's either that he doesn't, oh, oh, go ahead. Okay, so yeah, I, he's just getting like the expectations that, um, or the results or whatever that the FBI is getting out of, uh, out of, keeping pussy as a source just aren't meeting. And I'm getting the feeling that like the pressure is, is trickling downhill and you know, it's weighing a lot on, on pussy and and pussy has a lot to, he's facing 30 to life for selling heroin, which shout out to the Clinton administration or war on drugs. Um, I mean, heroin bill, shout out to Joe Biden. (laughs) Shout out to Joe Biden. Heard it here first. But Uh, pussy is in a, is in a lot of trouble. He's facing serious jail time. He wouldn't survive 30 years in prison. He's in horrible shape, old. Um, so, and he just doesn't have any, right? So that sort of, that pressure causes yeah. pussy to snap. Well, it's either, yeah, I'm sorry. Frozen. It's either that he doesn't have anything or that he's saying he doesn't have anything. Right. Yeah. Which is it? Is, is pussy going to kill himself? Ah, 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 ah. Uh, no, back off. Okay. No, pussy's gonna live forever. Pussy's gonna be redeemed. Okay. Um, put, put that on your prediction chart. It's on there. Listeners. So, scoop troop, get out your pens. Oh um, shit. So, um, anyway, so uh, yeah, he ends up in that fight, and then the next time we see him, he's actually at the damn confirmation party. He's worn a wire to a confirmation, which I'm sorry. That sucks. Yeah. That sucks so bad. That's got to be a a punishable sin in Catholicism, right? Is he going to hell for that one? I mean, certainly doesn't. I mean, there's certainly no teaching of the Bible or of Jesus saying, you know, thou shalt wear a wire, thou shalt be a rat. Is there anything (laughs) Snitches shall get stitches. (laughs) (laughs) Is there anything explicitly against it? Mm. Uh, render into Caesar what is Caesar's I, I guess whatever so it's all sort of abstract yeah they didn't have like recording equipment back then right? bible times right uh-huh, so it's right. like <laughs> I guess Jesus wasn't like don't record your bro right but yeah but the last scene of of pussy in this episode is so heartbreaking it's him sitting on the toilet yeah. in the in the bathroom maybe not on the toilet maybe in a chair but in the bathroom alone weeping in, mm-hmm. you know, inconsolably. And, you know, the FBI bros are just listening in. And this man is just lonely. He sees that he's on the outs, both with the feds and with the family. And, you know, he's he's already harmed his wife. It's just so bleak. It's so fucking sad, man. Yeah. And, like, that, that is what Christopher doesn't tell John Favreau is this disgusting underlight that you can run into it's not all glamour and funny cool shit about 
you know, getting uh, Frank Sinatra's contract bought for a dollar with a gun. It's, it's flipping on your friends and fucking yourself over and being horrified. And so I'll, you know, I'll talk about, I'll say what I have to say later in my love. I think it's time to confront the Chris. Yes. Okay. All right. So this is also, uh, there's a lot of fun stuff going on in this story as well. Uh, Pussy has the heaviness in this episode and I think the rest of it's pretty fun for the most part. Um, So, Chris uh, is, we, we first start with Chris meeting this studio executive and who is marrying his cousin. And he and Adriana are at like a club. Uh, Played by... There's, this, there's a bunch of douchebags behind them. And Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, the, the, uh, Amy is played by Alicia Witt, who uh, is Donna Hayward's sister in Twin Peaks and a great uh, actress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Uh, she's very good. And, Sorry, John, um, I didn't mean so, to cut you off. Uh, so he shows off. No, no, that's okay. Uh, I'm just I'm b- battling with this delay. Is is very <laughs> sorry. Um, uh, so yes. So he meets the studio exec. No, no, you're fine. It's good. Uh, and then he shows off his power. She says that she is working with John Favreau. Uh, not at that time for I guess swingers <laughs> and maid. No, not Obama's <laughs> speechwriter uh, turned podcaster. Uh, the the one the you know. The chef guy. Um, <laughs> the I'll say it, bad filmmaker John Favreau. Damn. Um, then Thank you for having he made Ratatouille. Like, uh, swingers, he can suck my dick. That swings too. Christopher Moltisson. Preach. Uh, he didn't so, make Ratatouille. Uh, I don't know why I thought he did. Yeah, Chris, oh, you had me fooled. <laughs> all right, all right. Sorry, Didn't he make a bunch of Pixar movies or some shit. He made some. Uh, oh, he made a bunch of the Marvel movies. Oh. He made a bunch of Marvel. Um, so then, the next time we see Chris, Chris is going to visit the set of the movie that John Favreau is producing called Female Suspect, uh, starring Janine Garofalo and um, oh, what's her name? Sandra Bernhard. Someone help me. No, Sandra Bernhard. Sandra Bernhard. Thank. Uh, yeah. Uh, and uh, during that scene, he gives them the the word bukyak to use as like an authentic Brooklyn thing to say. It means cunt. Um, <laughs> Thank God he was here. About- I thought that yeah, was so right. funny. He saved thought, the movie. I thought that was so funny because like, number one, it's such a, it's such a stupid trope. Like when you're filming a show about film, you have an actor like, you're like, oh, really with this dialogue, you know, do yeah. I really have her call it? You know, and it's like, you know, yeah. whatever. But it's such a funny, funny thing to include because, uh, you know, it comes back up with Janine Garofalo later in what I think is the funniest part of the of the episode. Uh, Are you talking about yeah. when she she runs into Christopher outside of the set? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. he goes, he goes, hey, Pukiak, where's John Favreau? Yeah, he calls fucking <laughs> Janine Garofalo. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, "Oh, that's really cool. He's not here, but okay." And I'm like, "Any more cool words for me?" Oh, oh God. Janine Garofalo, Janine Garofalo, and John Favreau. I'm sorry, but but they are both of them are just wonderful. They're such good sports in this episode. Yes, Janine Garofalo, yeah. also one of my first gay crush. I believe it. Um, and Michelle's yeah. high school reunion. Did yeah. For me. <laughs> I think I think it's a very good satire also on like the sort of Tarantino clones that were being pumped out at the end of the 90s like the, the this movie definitely has 
seems to have that vibe of like these two lesbian thieves and that it's like ending in a blood, a bloody shootout. And it's like this little indie movie. So uh, that, I thought it was a pretty good satire. Also, here's where I got the brain. On, like, the prevailing trend in Hollywood at that time. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. Cause yeah. this is where I got the brain poison. Um, you know, uh, they're explaining their background or whatever. And, uh, and Amy goes, goes, yeah, she was the director on the lesbian screwball comedy, uh, but now she's working on something more mainstream about spies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, it's like, wait a minute. So the lesbian romantic screwball comedy is something that we can't wrap our minds around, but we in this perverted, disgusting country are so fucking hyped about spycraft or whatever that's more accessible right. than understanding that people just love each other and have a good time. Man, fuck this, fuck this world. But uh, <laughs> th- that that would be the more mainstream. Whatever. I, I yeah. thought that was funny. F- films in the '90s were very mean, and I think that this shows that off as well. Um, mm-hmm. This this is part of that tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, Chris has a great little visit down that, uh, and then he takes them to the little pizza shop uh, where we hear. So, uh, warning here because this is where Chris talks about uh, the violent uh, trans woman. Um, I do also want to mention a really funny line here is that he talks about acting and that he only, if he acts, he only wants to play himself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no one's asking you, so. Right. Um, but then uh, Chris tells the story about. Uh, a trans woman who um, had sex with a mafia guy and then uh, he finds out that she is trans and dumps acid all over her. Um, And I think, unfortunately, this is played for laughs in the show um, and is played in a humorous sort of tone. Uh, And certainly part of that is the way Chris delivers it. But a big part of that is how they have Favreau react. And then later they're mm-hmm. going to have Favreau take his movie. Mm-hmm. And I think it's an interesting point. That w- what I wanted to talk about is the way that that, I think unknowing is uh, for the, especially considering the time period. I don't think this was conscious, but I think it's unknowingly a good satire of the way that Hollywood uses trans stories and stories about trans people. Uh, it's, it's very much the... Um, the always tragic um, tale uh, and that uh, violence against trans people can be played for laughs or as a moment of levity in your otherwise, you know, uh, violent mob movie. Um, And it's really, it's really despicable that the way that Hollywood especially has, has used um, trans experiences Mm -hmm. as, uh, as nothing more than a, a laughing point or, a way to uh, a cheap and uh, easily exploited way to to rend drama and um, emotion out of yeah. out of a story because um, no one is telling no one is telling the story of this trans woman and what her life is right the story that we get is the story of her abuser mm-hmm. um, so I, I think I think that's unknowingly I think a very good satire in the way that the trans lives are, are treated by mm-hmm. the media um, and the way that that Favreau takes this real story. Uh, and and takes the the trans woman basically out of it so that she's not an agent in her own story um, and uses it to try to turn profit and get laughs. And I think that that is shitty for fake Favreau. And I think that the show ne- may not necessarily have sorry, yeah. sort of rambled on. No, I think, you, I think you got it, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think they do that because it's just, a, you know, it's an example of, like, 
this entire scene of the pizza uh, pizza joint, all of like both Amy and John Favreau are eating out of Chris's hands with all mm-hmm. this. And so, you know, they see this sort of like, you know, everything that happens with the mafia is okay. It, like all of this violence is, is fine. That's just the way things go. And it's really cool that you could do all of that. Um, you know, they, they don't interrogate, well, if this didn't have anything to do with the mafia, would we care about this? This person who got victimized at all, or would they just continue to be a footnote in their own assault? Um, you know, and, and that's, and that's what I, took away from it as well. They, they talk about how in everything mafia is and, and going back to the last episode and the episode before that, that we talked about how organized crime is sort of this like vortex that sucks everything in and destroys everything in its path. And, you know, they, they think that that's just an okay thing for uh, to move forward. And um, that, that's all I want. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I was, uh, I was ready for the scene and I, and I wanted to watch it very closely because I did want to have this discussion about it. Um, I was surprised that at no point, uh, although Chris does say some horrible things about fictional woman, but, um, and I say fictional woman because she's fictional, not having anything to do with her trans identity. I don't know why I decided to say it that way. Anyway. Like when Chris says that he's not, he uh, doesn't have a problem with Jews. Uh, right, right. Uh, so, uh, but he, he never misgenders her, which I thought. Yeah, I noticed funny. that too. Although he does refer to her as a thing and he does talk about how hot she was uh that she was a hot piece of ass which i think is uh is a little uh i don't know it it would be slightly i don't know um it's 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 the best we're gonna get out of chris right yes there you go thank you man it's the best we're gonna get out of chris for sure for sure uh so um, I didn't have anything. I, I did want to make sure that we touched on that because I, I part of I didn't. Mm-hmm. You guys have more to say on that? Yeah, and Chris, um, Chris puts himself out there, you know, telling the story not because it's an act of horrific violence against trans people or that it's an act of horrific violence at all, but uh, it's super important in his story because he's not supposed to tell it. Mm-hmm. Right. That's, you know, that's the danger that he puts himself in uh, just to impress these Hollywood guys. Uh, it bites him in the ass later, I guess. But... Yeah, and, and, and unless we even unless we skip over the fact that that in and of itself is an act of transphobia that nobody is supposed to know that this guy was with a trans woman mm-hmm. um, as if that, that would somehow matter uh, less or more than if that person were with a, a, a cis woman. Um, and that in, a, in and of itself is an act of transphobia. So I, yeah, I think, good, good point. Um, uh, so yeah, I, I think it's, it's definitely an interesting scene to look at in a modern context uh, and see like, this was 10 or 20 years ago now. Jesus. Uh, but yeah, yeah, we, we've come a long way, baby, as they say, and we still have a long way to go. But yes, indeed. Uh, um, but yeah, uh, compare this with fucking uh, How I Met Your Mother, which does not hold up at all, and came out just years ago. Is that final? Uh, and it is chock full of misogyny and transphobia. So really? Yeah. Yeah. I forget um, who did it, but there was a uh, fantastic, um, fantastic piece about how Ted is actually the. The villain. Um, oh, yeah, I believe it. And uh, it's it's fantastic. Shout out to whoever did that uh, credit. We will put that in the show notes once I figure out who. <laughs> sure, shout out. Uh, but yeah, that show, like, we watched Friends not too long before that, and Friends holds up better than How I Met Your Mother. Ew. Friends still problematic at points. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, How I Met Your Mother will shock. Ugh. Anyway, okay. Back to The Sopranos. Um, so, we, so we talked about the whole shop. Uh, and then Chris goes home to aid 
And uh, Adriana is really upset that she didn't get to meet John Favreau. That's basically that scene, I think. Um, yeah, she felt left uh, out. And then, yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. So then Chris goes to see Favreau, and he ends up at in Amy's going over his script uh, because mm-hmm. uh, is that what they call because, it? Because uh, <laughs> Aid had kept a copy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then we start talking about the hierarchy of needs, which I think this ties nicely into discussion in the other storyline about philosophy. Um, yeah, we really get into right it. There. We get really deep into the hierarchy of needs in this scene. Mm-hmm. Chris gets really deep into something, and that <laughs> something is his cousin's fiance, um, who he fucks, or I should say, they fuck together. Mm-hmm. Um, that. That scene, I'm not gonna lie, that was kind of hot. It was kind of hot. It's very hot, Chris. Uh, <laughs> Michael Imperioli's unibrow is uh, unprecedented. I'll say in this yeah, episode, yeah, it really um, is. It is outstanding <laughs> yeah. that no one in in makeup went, "Hey, hey, bud, let me just tweeze that a little for you." No, uh, but anyway. Um, so, so here's here's one thing I I just want to flag as well, just a. A wonderful is this the wonderful self indulgent, just horny fucking scene, and the immediate cutaway to Livia on her bed. Yeah, yeah, dude. Oh, that's such a good cut. That was such a good cut. Boy, it's almost like we're talking about the purpose of life, and uh, we're juxtaposing two images of mm-hmm. the ecstasy and the agony. Mm-hmm. Who directed well. this one? <laughs> anyway, I don't know. That was uh, good. I, I like that. Yeah, it is good. It's a good choice. There's there's a lot of symbolism and and things like that. Um, so the next time we see Chris, he's finally getting his meeting with John Favreau, and he opens it by uh, my favorite activity of Chris's, which is to gack up a big fat rail uh, and leave John sitting on the couch not partaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Chris proceeds to go on a cocaine freakout all over John Favreau. Uh, yes. And I will tell you what I want in my mouth this episode, I'm cutting ahead, is it's I want the words in my mouth to tell John Favreau to his face how much he sucks, <laughs> like Chris gets to do. <laughs> yes. 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 Uh, yes. I would love to tell John Favreau to his face that he sucks. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> yes. Chris gets to do that. And then Favreau's like, Are you strapped? He's like, Am I strapped? Ah! <laughs> <laughs> He throws a loaded gun at John Favreau, uh, uh-huh. uh, who like freaks the fuck out. And uh, Chris can't talk, stop talking about his script. There's another great Michael Imperioli on Coke is great. Like, yeah, he's, he's doing the most, but he's doing it the best. Yeah, and we are talking about the actor, not the character. <laughs> yeah, yeah, my friend Michael Imperioli. We drink the tequila where it pours into the the top. We drink that together, and then we do fat rails. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Um, so, you know, here's where, you know, the inauthenticity of, of John Favreau versus the, the chaotic energy of mob life intersect, which is John Favreau just wants to know how many people uh, Michael Imperial, I mean, Christopher, and, but he, he's afraid to ask it because he doesn't know if it's, like, a good thing to ask or polite or whatever and this is where the best part of the cocaine freak out happens <laughs> where he's just like getting gun faced over and over again and punched <laughs> and it's so good it's a little so sexy good. did i what did i what john favreau did i what <laughs> ask me ask me chris That's is trying so to fuck john favreau 
I hope so. so uh, that, that would be incredible. <laughs> and, and that, you know, and I think John, I mean, not John, sorry, Chris recognizes like, oh, you know, if I'm going to be this fucking dancing monkey, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to wild the fuck out. So I, I, I think yeah. he gets, you know, he gets out of pocket a little bit, but I think that you know, he was bit. like, you know, I think that that's on purpose because he knows that he can act an ass and these people will just like look at him and be like, oh, the wild gangster guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think it's really funny. All the while, Favreau's trying to talk to him about his script. And Favreau's really trying to give him pointers on, like, the themes and, like, the character development. And all Chris really cares about is figuring out the logic of the story beat. So he freaks out so hard when he figures out that the roof is soft tar! Mm-hmm. The roof is soft tar! Ha-ha! <laughs> 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 ha! That'll work. <laughs> the roof is soft tar! Okay. It's a great line read of him saying the roof yeah. is soft tar. <laughs> Uh, because he's figured out how to let his character, who's supposed to be a hitman, have tap shoes that he wears all the time and also get away with this murder. Um, because, again, Chris's understanding of this only goes so deep into, like, determining the internal logic. Yeah, I mean, when I'm an assassin, I wear my tap shoes. Right, right. Yeah. It's, it, oh, it's incredible. Um, so then, uh, so yeah, so he freaks Favreau out and then my favorite just last little visual joke is uh, Favreau wiping the gun down before he gives it back to Chris. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Fingerprints on all over it. Um, so that's the, so that is the, the, the last time that Chris ever sits down with John Favreau. Uh, he does not, he basically gets spoilers. Asshole. Spoiler. You've seen the episode. He doesn't <laughs> sit down with John Favreau ever again. And he, okay. Uh, Cause he Thank fucking you. gun faced him and coked out of his fucking mind. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so yeah so so what chris chris next goes to have dinner with tony and carm with uh adriana uh and he freaks the fuck out because all they're talking about is amy's wedding and the food at amy's wedding and he's like oh i just fucked her um mm-hmm. and so he pretends to, to freak out about everyone all everybody talks about is food uh and then uh this is tony's greatest line ever once you're married, you'll understand the importance of fresh produce. Yes. And John, yes. I wanted to ask you about was, that. Is it true? I was going to tell you, uh, apparently it is true once you're married. And you don't learn this until you're So it's impossible for you all to understand this. But once okay. you're married, you will understand <laughs> yeah. how important fresh produce is. I can't even explain it to you. Yeah. Because until you're married, you, it's physically impossible for you to understand. Yeah. And so. I care a lot about fresh produce. So I'm like really eager to see what, what it feels like when I actually am caring in a real way. I mean, you care about it, but I don't think you understand the importance. That's, you know produce. what? And that's, that's a key distinction. It's a key distinction. There's definitely a difference between those two things. So. Yeah. Now I care about fresh fruits and I care about fresh vegetables. So that's produce. So that's produce. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, am I going to? Am I, like I don't know if I. Okay. So by you telling me that it's produce, like I, I'm. So, I think so I'm close. look, you definitely understand identifying, but you don't understand the importance of produce. I, I have no doubt now that you can identify produce. <laughs> Very good job. But that's a different I word. So like the I word that you look for is the importance. <laughs> and that is really something you can only get when you get one of these boys right here. Oh, and a ring on your finger. 
this is maybe my favorite bit we've ever done. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> I know about fruits and vegetables. Okay. Oh, man. <laughs> the, Tony and Carmela are lost this episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They do yeah, not know man. how to deal with what's going on. Yeah. No, their son is just a fucked up nihilist wrecking cars and smoking weed. And their nephew is just like, everybody talks about food. Um, all right. So, uh, da, da, da. oh, yeah. And then uh, the big part here, Chris gets mad, storms out. And then Adrian accidentally lets it loose to Tony that he's still working, that Chris is still working on this screenplay. And, uh, and we get sort of the slow push in on Tony realizing like, oh, mm-hmm. no. We get to uh, beat you over the head. Here yeah. is a conflict. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. So the next time we see Chris, he is smoking in a non-smoking hotel. Uh, and he's waiting for Amy. They do a weird makeout on the elevator where he's like obsessed with her Manola Blanc. They've uh, got some serious sexual tension. Uh, never been a foot guy, so I can't do the Manola Blanc. Blahniks. But, hmm? It's Manolo Blahnik. Manolo Blahnik. They're Italian. Yeah. So <laughs> there's that. Um, then Chris does an anti-Semitism. Oh, sorry. <laughs> they make out on the elevator. Then they fuck. Then they fuck. <laughs> then Chris does an anti-Semitism. Yo, uh, <laughs> I'm not kidding. I had something very similar happen to me very recently. <laughs> Congratulations. Someone, someone wanted to talk to you about the Jewish New World Order. <laughs> no, someone just was like... Uh, telling me out of nowhere that they had no problem with Jews and uh, I'm also sexually involved with them. So congratulations. First, congrats on the sex. Um, <laughs> Thanks so much. <laughs> We're so pleased for you. And, uh, and I really would just like to yeah. say my standards are perfect and fine and don't need to change. Yes, yes, yes. Um, yeah. So, I support my friend. Um, <laughs> So good job, Alicia Witt, for just being kind of chill with that. Been there, girl. Well, yeah. Chris <laughs> says he's fucked Jews before. Uh, uh, but I don't think he has. Something different about it. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I don't know, man. No, I'm not touching that one. Um, so Elijah's in the room. Yes, Elijah is in the room, and we need to leave space between Elijah. Okay. Um, <laughs> Uh, so after their, oh, so then, yeah, Chris is like, have you ever fucked a Jew? Or she's like, have you ever fucked a Jew before? Chris is like, yeah. Two days ago. Uh, just the other night when I fucked you and not, yeah. Uh, and then he's like, have you ever fucked a skinny guinea? And then they're like, oh, right, my cousin who you're engaged with. And they have this sort of, uh, she gets very upset and goes to the next room. Chris finds the screenplay for John Favreau's new play. And this part I love. Chris is reading a screenplay clearly the first time. Uh, you can see the movie from the words. Yeah. This is a screenplay. Like, I love that he's never, he's going to write a screenplay. Seen movie, never read a screenplay. He has no idea what one looks like. The, the idea of just starting with a blank page and just inventing it as you go along. I love it. It's perfect, Chris. God grant me the confidence uh, of Christopher Boltisanti writing a screenplay. <laughs> Absolutely. John and Ben, uh, have you ever written a screenplay? Hell no. Uh, uh, when I was in high school for a project, for like a paper that I had to write for school, we had this very cool teacher uh, who was like the cool English teacher. 
Mm-hmm. And basically, you could write whatever you wanted as long as it was related to the book. So a popular thing to do for his class was to rewrite the book in a different format. Like, write an epic, write it as like an epic poem or whatever. So I mm-hmm. rewrote Hatcher in the Rye as a screenplay. Oh, wow. Cool. When I was in high school. No, it was very bad because like Chris, I had never read a screenplay before. Yeah, but at least you were in high school and not like a full grown adult. That's true. And I wasn't trying to blow up my whole life about it. Right. Um, so yeah, so then Chris finds, uh, he finds his story in there and then he really freaks the fuck out. Uh, and goes apparently all over New Jersey trying to find John Favreau. Uh, uh, this is the moment where uh, where you see uh, Chris go to the set and talk to Janine Garofalo again um, and all that. He finally uh, he finally tracks Amy down at she's waiting to go into another meeting. Um, she's like, "This is really not cool." Like he is going to respect her like business lady norm. Um, he doesn't give a uh, um, and and then yeah, he's he's like, you were just gonna leave, and she thinks for a minute like leave because like we have something going here, right? But he's talking about his screenplay, yeah. Uh, and then she gets like real cold, and she's like, we're not doing mafia movies right now. Yeah, you're just a D girl. Yeah. <laughs> and then, Fuck you! I'm a vice president. Yeah, I'm a vice. <laughs> <laughs> That's the other one. That's the other kiss off. Fucking D girl. Excuse me? Excuse me, I'm a vice president. You fucking asshole. Yeah. So good. <laughs> Go off. You are a vice uh, So we'll do our, our little uh, uh, title explainer real quick. A D girl is like a movie industry slang. Development girl, or which is a sexist term, but it would be somebody who help to develop a movie or a story uh, into a like full fledged uh, basically what she does for John. Yeah. Um, so uh, that is the, basically the, oh no, that is not the end of the Chris storyline. Cause Chris then goes to the confirmation party and Tony gives Chris an ultimatum. Uh, you either you go out in the world, I'll give you 10 minutes, go find what you're looking for, or you stay here with me and you are committed. Mm-hmm. And uh, we get the, the, they let us stew on it for a minute. You know, they, we see Chris go out, he smokes a cigarette, and then ultimately he goes back in the house, staying with Tony. That's the episode. Yeah. That's the Chris storyline. We did Pussy. We did AJ. I think we covered everything, guys. I think we did. Fantastic. So uh, I think we know two people who are horny in this episode, but who is the horny S? Getting horny now. <clears throat> I'm gonna say Amy's the horniest. Yeah, I think Amy's pretty fucking horny. <sighs> Here comes some bullshit. What do you think, Ben? <laughs> I think how he has to think of a contrarian take. I I do think Chris <laughs> might actually be hornier than Amy. Why? Uh, <clears throat> okay. Because all right. There's two reasons. One, um, he definitely seeks her out more than she seeks him out. Like it's it's fortuitous the first time that they fuck, but after um, you know, if John Favreau would have been available for his two o'clock with Jerry from Newark, then I don't know if they would have fucked that first time. Mm-hmm. But um, but after they fucked the first time, and Chris has the blow up with Adriana, he he stalks essentially. Uh, what's her face? Amy. Amy yeah. shows up at her place and then fuck. Amy never reaches out to Chris. There. Don't get I, these I, guts. I tend to agree with you. I tend to agree with you. I think my my preliminary going towards Amy was the look that she gives him when he tells off the the guys who are being jerks at the bar at the very mm-hmm. beginning. Oh yeah, she, she gives him a very horny look. 
Yeah. yeah, it's just she's just fetishizing like a, a shithead gangster guy. Yeah, but that's, she's horny nonetheless. I, I mean, I think she's she's probably written by men, and I think she is written to be horny for power. Yeah, uh, she's she's a god awful character. Uh, yeah. she's, but you know, and I think Alicia Witt does the best as she can do with her. But yeah, yeah, she's she's pretty two dimensional. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so okay. So uh, Ben, you have convinced me actually with your contrarian bullshit, uh, <laughs> and I will say that Chris is is hornier than than Amy. I'm also, that just made Amy. me think: how how dumb is John Favreau to fucking ghost a mobster? No, I mean like, it's that, Chris Moltisanti. Yeah, what is he, he gonna do? That. He doesn't know that. I don't know. I don't know. That's that's part of the. I think that's part of the. Uh, characterization of these Hollywood types is that yeah they don't exist in this world and they're not subject to the consequences as everyone else is. This is just some compartmentalized bullshit that they can float in and out of. Yeah. And I think in the, in the parlance of the story, like conflict avoidance is like a, uh, a less than masculine characteristic or it is, yeah. a, uh, it is a, a, a bad characteristic to have. Um, and that's certainly what they're, painting Favreau with. Uh, although I still contend, Favreau, you do actually suck. Uh, mm-hmm. And you're not just playing somebody who sucks. Uh, okay. So, John's crusade against John Favreau. I would Favreau. have a crusade against John Favreau because he makes bad movies uh, and he should stop making Damn. bad movies. And, and uh, I, I was going to say make good ones instead, but fuck that. Oh, you know what picks a stupid thing he did to Jungle Book where it's all fucking CGI and they called it live action. that's funny uh okay so uh i am uh anti-horny for john fab next great uh what do you want in your mouth put it in my mouth she said put it in her mouth mouth. Mouth. i mean her motherfucking mouth i already said i want the words in my mouth to tell john favreau he sucks uh rachel what would you like in your mouth oh fuck um i guess some of that pizza that pizza did look good it's the best slice in jersey yeah and they were playing rihannon in the background of the restaurant what's better than that totally appropriate song for that scene yeah Mm -hmm. uh maybe foreshadowing the cocaine that's coming uh ben he's been there uh, what's to foreshadow because chris does coke later in the episode yeah well he's always doing coke yeah I think it's it's more of a, a it advances the story a little bit more too because it's like Rhiannon being this this um, mythical creature or whatever that um, that Stevie Nicks got obsessed with right and, yeah right and you know John and or John Favreau is obsessed with like the mafia as a sort of like other creature that he can tinker with and play with and extract ideas out of so I thought I thought there was more to it than just the cocaine well which you're the, the music cheap, guy. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, you got it, bud. Uh, what do you want in your mouth? Ooh, what do I want in my mouth? Um, there wasn't a whole lot in this episode that I want in my mouth. Not a lot of, not a lot of eating, not a lot of... Um, oh, I'll tell you what I want in my mouth. That, um, that fruit bowl that was on the bed um, that uh, Amy was working on while reading the script, oh. it, was a, it was a really nice looking sure. bowl of fruit. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and, and shout out to me. I've started going on a little bit of a diet uh and so that's a bit you know that I guess. you know i i recognize the importance of fresh produce uh from time to time you'll so. never understand you're not gonna understand it oh uh, okay right 
you, you just can't. Just right. can't. Um, but all right, so Ben wants some uh, some fruit that he doesn't understand in his mouth. Um, stand. <laughs> Jesus. John, who is your stand? Truly yours, your biggest fan. This is Stan. I stand Chris for telling John Favreau he sucks. Jesus Christ. <laughs> he also cheated on Adriana. Hey, he also did an yeah, well. anti-trans... Yeah, okay, well, y'all start, and I'm going to restand because it can't be Chris. <laughs> I love when we peer pressure you into changing it. I know. So, uh, uh, flip-flop. Um, What's yours? Mine was Adriana's because I'll tell you why. Number one, she's hot the entire episode. Number two, X. Uh, of course she loves swingers. Of course she does. It's very on brand. And uh, number three, because God bless Drea De Mateo for sticking in a role where literally every time she's in an episode, she has to do a gratuitous underwear mm-hmm. that is so clearly uh, for the male gaze. Uh, I think the uh, obvious the obvious stand of the week is AJ. God, like he fucking ruled. He, we wanted you to have that, Ben. Thank you. He uh, he lived just a model existence of being a wild shithead. He understood French philosophy. Uh, he <laughs> said, yeah, fuck he understood it. That, he said, fuck out of here with that German bullshit. Uh, and, uh, you know, he made his parents happy by going through with confirmation, whether he actually believed that, you know, God is dead or whatever, but uh, he went ahead with it and was a good son. Smoked some pot, good for him. Uh, shout out to Age Stan. Right. Shout, shout out to our little our little weed boy. Um, he, all right, weed there's man. Like, He's a man. I'm looking, man. Yeah, I'm looking over my notes, and I mean, so all I can do, all the best I can do is to qualify <laughs> a qualified stand for Chris. Uh, <laughs> count, counting out his anti-Semitism transphobia and uh oh what else is he? he's abusive towards adriana uh count out all of that and i love when he's abusive to john favreau so i stand, I stand him for uh for talking shit to that uh big piece of shit named john favreau i don't know he could be a real nice guy his movies are not good though look uh, all right i'm i'm watching into my dialectic to respond to this I've said it from the beginning. I'll say it now. What I like about this is about this episode is how good of a sport John Favreau was. This whole fucking episode was everybody just telling him he sucked. You know that that was much of the story. Uh, at least Chris's part was like you're not getting it. You don't understand the life. Uh, and literally, Chris telling John Favreau that he sucks. So I I stand him for being a good. Relax there, John. <laughs> Pick it no, because he thinks it's a joke, but it's not a joke because he sucks. Eh, well, he got roasted. Good for him for being a good sport. That's right. Something they I didn't. They paid him. They paid him to do it. Yeah, maybe. I'll get paid for somebody to tell me that I suck. Also, Chris got paid. Uh, Michael Imperioli got paid to tell fucking John Favreau he sucks. I would love that. Anyway, <laughs> this is my anti-John Favreau podcast. Yeah. Well. Well, he was a good he was a good sport. Also, so was Janine Garofalo uh, for just being like cheerful and uh, being happily called the <laughs> Bukiak. Uh, yeah, yeah, she's great. Yeah, that was good. Uh, shout out to America before they canceled Janine Garofalo anti-war in Iraq. 
Um, oh, yeah, this is, yeah, this is pre-Air America. Yeah. So uh, uh, let's go on the Janine Garofalo rehabilitation. That's what, that's what I take away from this. Um, oh, yeah. Something I don't like about this episode, uh, I, I did not like the um, – I, I did not like uh, the FBI guy – FBIH all his entire you know, sweaty, breath, breathless performance of like, yeah, gotta give me something like showing up at Pussy's house first thing in the morning, shoving a paper at him, you know, like dragging him to wherever the hell to make him you know he's gonna wear a wire. Uh, you know, I, I thought it was a little not only was it just like shitty and tacky, but it was also poorly poorly played and not very believable. So I, I did not like the FBI agent or, you know, cops. So I don't like cops. Mm-hmm. Uh, something that I loved about this episode were two very, very, very good cuts. The first cut being the cut from Amy and Chris fucking uh, Olivia, and then the cut from Pussy crying on bathroom to Chris resolving to return to the life that uh, he knows and loves so well, walking back into a life which ultimately could lead to him wearing a fucking wire at his godson's confirmation or whatever just simply so he doesn't have to serve 30 to life. That was a really, really good cut. Really interesting stuff going on. That's me. Very good. Rachel, what's your dialect? Uh, mm-hmm. um, well, again, I'm not doing the way that I said I was. Um, <laughs> doing it the old way. Um, the thing that I loved about uh, the, or the thing that I liked, I guess, is um, <clears throat> the Olivia... There, Olivia has like horrible advice for AJ and it's just kind of like a one-off. We didn't really talk about it when we were getting into the Olivia stuff, but how she basically tells him that he shouldn't wear seatbelts. Yes. <laughs> yeah. The woman, the woman is possibly the worst person to go to for anything at all. <laughs> she wants everyone around her to die. Um <laughs> Uh, so that was something that I thought was funny because it, I have to find humor in it or else it's just terribly sad. Um, one thing that I, uh, I guess I not didn't like, but was just kind of like what, what's happening here, um, is the way that the kids just kind of like are continually dropping philosophical like quotes and knowledge throughout the episode and it was just like I don't know I know that that's the point it was also kind of annoying at a point you know what I mean um it's very forced it's very forced when you have Meadow do it once that's one thing but then to have Meadow do it and then the uh, pussy's son also knows all about existentialism yeah AJ it's all right you I hear you death just shows the ultimate absurdity of life like okay um yeah he must have been hitting some good uh uh chiba to get there but um yeah the thing that I loved about this episode was the uh kind of juxtaposition of how Tony can discipline Chris versus AJ um so like he doesn't know what the fuck to do with AJ. He just doesn't know. But Chris, he's got fucking whipped, man. Like, Chris will do... Chris is in Tony's pocket. And I think it's very funny because AJ is a pre... Um, <laughs> but much harder for Tony to control. Um, and so I kind of like the the fact that in the episode you're seeing Tony, like, struggle to deal 
with his disobedient son, but like basically just very quickly and easily make Chris realize what he that he needs to get his shit together. I like that. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. John, what about you? Okay. Uh, so one thing that I really liked in this episode, uh, I like that we we get to learn more. Well, is that what I like or what I love? Uh, all right, I like it. Uh, we get to learn more about Chris's screenplay. And every time we learn about Chris's screenplay, it's exceptionally hilarious. Oh, the, yes. The whole bit about he wears tap shoes and he's a hitman is amazing. The thing about, there's a line in here. He says, uh, his character, the, the character in the screenplay says, I don't know whether to shit or go blind. And that's his actual dilemma is he doesn't know whether he's going to shit he's gonna go blind later in the story it's like that's terrible it's so bad um and and he's so excited about it but like it's it's such a great place to mine humor out of those little things like that um and then i guess that's what i loved in this episode too is there's a lot of like really oh no what i loved in this episode is that there is a lot of little funny moments but uh, i also love them swinging for the fences and having this like philosophical discussion which in when this episode came out in 2000 was not something that you had on tv like now we have the good play which is basically just like a uh, philosophy 101 class mm-hmm. on tv with your favorite actors making jokes about the fucking trolley problem or whatever uh but like in 2000 they didn't have shit like this on tv or on hbo um and I think it's it's great. Like I, I hear what you're saying, and that it's clunky to put so much of these philosophical ideas in the minds of children. Um, but I think it works in this story. Um, and, and I think because most of these kids are smarter than their parents, for one, mm-hmm. uh, and they they've definitely had better educations than their parents, right? That's what mm-hmm. uh, the American dream part of it, right, is to have your is for your kids to be off better off than mm-hmm. you were. Um, and of course this, this show definitely likes to play with that, that American dream mythos. Um, yeah. And you know, if I could jump in, uh, yeah. I, I think that it's, it's especially uh, poignant of shows in that late nineties, early two thousands, pre nine 11 aspect where it's like, we have this energy, um, you know, and this angst and, and, and we're agitated and we don't know what to do with it. The world is changing and we don't know how to handle it for ourselves and our children are, uh, are, are becoming smarter, you know, at a rate that we can't sort of control. We're unsure of our place. We don't have an outlet to to train our frustration. Um, right. And sorry, that that's all I wanted. To say. No, no, I think I think that's good. I think yeah, looking at it definitely through that pre nine eleven lens. Yeah, I haven't watched uh, a lot know, of pre nine eleven shows now that I think months. about it. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, the simple fact is there aren't a lot of pre nine eleven shows that are worth watching because TV wasn't as right. good. That, like, uh, and it's not; uh, it doesn't have anything to do with nine eleven. It's just the timing of like sure. The Sopranos is one of the first premiere TV shows, uh, yeah. Prestige or whatever. I, I just want to point out King of the Hill, nineteen ninety seven. Uh, that is excellent pre nine eleven watching. It is. We we've actually been rewatching it. Uh, good. Here lately, so, so good. John is legally obligated to say that 9/11 had nothing to do with TV getting better, but I think <laughs> listeners can draw their own conclusions about why yeah. those things. Well, certain, certainly on the day, TV was amazing. All that production quality up on the screen. Because <laughs> uh-huh. we all know that 9/11 was fake. It didn't happen. Twin Towers are still there. We all know it. Uh-huh. Uh, and it was just uh, a bunch of. Hollywood types 
making a bunch of special effects and putting it on CNN. And now we got to take our shoes off when we go to the airport. Okay. Um, I'm so glad that this is our last episode. Uh, all right. So that's, that's what I loved of this episode. I, I love swinging for the fences and trying to do philosophical conversation. And I think it works for the most part. Yeah. Um, oh, low power alert. Okay. Uh, and then uh, something that I, uh, I hated in this episode. Um, uh, I hate John. <laughs> yeah, no shit. Uh, no, I hate his movies. They're not good. They could have found a better director to be their big guest director producer or whatever because he's not even really doing anything at this time this is pre-iron man uh so uh on that on this i will say hbo do a better job of cat get us a better director than fucking john favreau please and thank you yeah but john favreau was fresh off the heels of swingers so no this is like post-made even oh really like swingers is like well, Swingers is like 97, 98, That's right? not that long before this. Swingers. When was that bullshit? You gotta imagine. 96. Basically. Oh, all right. 96. Yeah, I stand corrected. Four years. And he made Made, which didn't do anything. I think that came out in 2000. So, so John, yeah. will we start seeing bigger and better cameos as the seasons go on? Uh, I don't know. Cam- cameos, That's not a spoiler. So. No, I, I don't. I'm trying to think. There aren't any like big ones like this that that come to mind. It's funny in the last two episodes we've had Frank Sinatra Jr. It's not really even a big celebrity cameo because I don't know that he does anything. Um, but like to for the show to just be like, hey, look, it's Frank Sinatra Jr. and John Favreau. Like I don't think there are a lot of other moments like that of sort of like stunt casty kind of things uh-huh. that I can remember. I, I don't I don't remember much of anything like that. Interesting. More, so. okay. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, uh, right. that was, that's my dialectic. Uh, do you guys have any closing thoughts on this episode before we sign off? Yes. Yes. Ultimately, I think that this, um, I think that the exploration of you know, Hollywood exploiting and dabbling in uh, different sort of worlds and just moving on to the next fad. I think that that's something that we see. I think that's a feature of the last 40 years, especially sort of with like J.D. Vance. Shout out to our friend J.D. Vance. That's that fucking movie. That book is becoming a movie. Um, So, you know, fetishization of like true crime and mafia. And then now, you know, poverty porn and Appalachia. Let's just swoop in, see how these these different people work and get out of there. I think I think on the one hand, this episode does a good job of showing how just shitty and bankrupt that industry is, uh, while also not really making it that entertaining of a of a story. And also I think that I think that the idea of myth making versus reality is at work here in this episode. And um that that to me, that's kind of like an overarching theme, at least of the last two seasons, HBO, like, of sorry, of The Sopranos, which has been like, you know, what is, what is this life that, that we're so fond of having? What, what is this family, the business? Is it really that good to begin with? And it's not. Yeah. Is, is, and this question, this, this episode ponders whether any life at all is worth it. And I guess that's one to leave you with dear listener until god next don't time. kill yourselves <laughs> please yeah hey for real though don't don't no don't um because uh you have so much to do 
uh, you need to wash your hands, take your medicine, you need mm-hmm. to go to therapy, and you got to organize for the revolution, baby. And we love you. We love That's you. right. We love you, and we'll see you on the next episode, which is Full Leather Jacket. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the jacket. All right. All right. Love you. Love, love you. you. We should have never thought that we could get stoned and drive around with just a half a pack of smokes. Bottle of clear eyes and appetite. We were pilgrim the Turkey Hill on Main Ave and West Side. Wouldn't you guess the only thing we had to fear would be flashing the lights in our seen the Zapruder film yeah I'm no. gonna watch it you had um, to watch the president's head blow off yeah and I'm looking at the Google reviews and it's very funny the Google